Welcome to This Week in Hearing. I'm your guest host, Heather Maliuk, and I'm thrilled to introduce my guest today, Lisa Tannenbaum. Lisa is an audiologist in Southern California. Though she works in a variety of facets within the audiology field, she has been not just a specialist within the music, TV, film, and live events industries, she's actually one of the original music audiologists, which is what we will primarily focus um, on today during our conversation. She owns Musicians Hearing Services, which has locations in Los Angeles and San Francisco, but I know a lot of her work is done on-site at rehearsal studios, venues, and other locations. I've known Lisa for almost 10 years now and consider her one of my mentors. It's rare to get her on an interview like this, and as a result, many of our listeners maybe have never heard of her, but she is truly a matriarch of non-regulated hearing conservation as it relates to musicians, especially in regard to custom earplugs and in-ear monitors. She has over 30 years of experience within the pro music industry, and she's one of the co-authors of the recent clinical consensus document on working with music industry professionals that was published by the American Academy of Audiology. I've had the pleasure of working alongside Lisa, and something I always take away from watching her is her ease of counseling and educating when it comes to hearing loss prevention and the prevention of music-induced hearing disorders. So that being said, Lisa, thank you for taking time out of your really busy schedule to record with me. I'm so excited to ask you uh, questions today. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Heather. Um, That was all very, very very flattering and and nice. I appreciate that. And the funny thing is you call me one of your mentors and this has come full circle because now you are one of mine. Circle of audiologic life. You bet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just, I look at what you do and how you do it and I'm just inspired every day. And I, it does make me want to be a little bit younger, but (laughs) You know, (laughs) well, I'm, I'm really excited to chat with you because there were some questions I thought of to ask you that like, I've never asked you in 10 years. And so I wanted to take this opportunity to kind of learn more about your background and really kind of what things were like when you got started. Um, so I guess just to start with the first question, what was your background before audiology and what got you started in this field? How did it all come about? Hmm. Well, I had a number of, I didn't come, I didn't go to college right out of high school. I was one of those, I don't know, I don't really think that's for me. So I worked a number of different jobs. I won't go through all those, um, except I will get up to my very last job out of this field. And that was for a cutout record company. Oh, cool. Oddly enough, my path unintentionally from the time I was a teenager kind of (laughs) (laughs) heard me in this direction. Why? I have no idea. But um, I I was an order processor. It was a mail order business. And I worked there for a couple of years. And it was fun because we got to kind of do the music industry stuff. We'd go to shows down at the the Santa Barbara Bowl. And, you know, we're kind of in that groove. And this is fun, free tickets, you know, whatever. But that wasn't why I was there. I was there because I needed a job and I was only getting paid minimum wage. And I went into the owner one day and I asked for a raise and I said, Hey, you know, so-and-so, you know, I've been here for a couple of years and I would, 
I, I need to make some more money. He said, well, Lisa, you're okay. You're an order processor. I said, yeah, I, I'm a pretty <laughs> good order processor. And he said, Lisa, there's no more money in the budget for an order processor. What else can you do? I mean, this is the best way to get a kid to go to college. Yeah. I thought, <laughs> I can't do anything. <laughs> Seriously, I was like, you know, in terms of any special skills, I couldn't even say, oh, I'm the most organized person and I'm a marketing person. And I'm, I, I, I was totally stumped. So I started um, taking classes out at a junior college just to figure out, like, I don't know. I, I honestly had no clue what I wanted mm -hmm. to do or what I could do. So uh, within that process, I took a sign language class. My sign language teacher uh, is still one of my best, best friends. She's 20 years older than me. And we still hang out together. Ended up living together when she came up um, to San Francisco and went to the UCSF. Uh, uh, oh, I forget what it was called. It was a, it was a deaf program. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she had a friend who ran the hand, handicapped student services at Cuesta College. She introduced me to her and I just started tutoring this Linda Mood Bell speech and language program just for something to do and for little money. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I'm going to land the plane. But that <laughs> led to that led to me working for this woman named Pat Linda Mood, who started the program. Um, I realized I could make about a dollar more working at her clinic. So I did that. And she informed me that she thought I'd be a really good speech language pathologist. So she encouraged me to go into speech language pathology. If you talk to a lot of audiologists of my vintage, they'll tell you that they started thinking that they going in this yeah. field, they thought I'm going into speech and hearing or not speech and hearing to speech and language. Yeah. And then um, so uh, at that time, the, uh, this is way before AUD and all that. So mm -hmm. the, uh, the major was communicative disorders on the undergraduate level. You special, you, uh, the curriculum was the same for speech and hearing. I, I, I had never heard the word audiology. I didn't know what that yeah. was. So, you know, during those years, I was the speech stuff wasn't really ringing my bell, mm -hmm. but I found myself being really intrigued and fascinated by the hearing stuff, the ear, you know, so much more interesting than to me than the rest of it. So then for your master's program, you would specialize in either the speech or hearing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, thank goodness I was interested in that and I wasn't interested in the other part, but it, I wasn't stuck. So I just continued on with the audiology path. Awesome. Yeah. But uh, where did so? Okay. So you didn't necessarily become an audiologist to be a music audiologist. Oh, and I, and I know no. that term, that term like has only existed in recent history as it's become an actual like recognized thing. But what, so what's with music audiology? Where did that start? So again, this has all happened so organically. Um, first, I didn't know what an audiologist was. And certainly back in the, 1980s, there was no such thing as music audiology. Right. And I mean, so I was working, uh, when I got out of school, I worked, you know, I was really fortunate. I worked for a really, you know, a few really nice 
people and really nice practices. Um, I won't tell you about all that because we'll be here all day. But anyway, so at the time I was work, this was circa 1992. Um, I was working for Larry Ng, a friend of mine and a fellow uh, grad student at San Francisco mm -hmm. State. And he had started this really, really nice practice. I mean, it was just lovely. And all of his equipment was really up to date. And, and it was just a really, really nice work environment, mostly adults just doing tradition, not just, but doing traditional audiology, diagnostics mm -hmm. and hearing aids and oral rehab and all that. And I went to a uh, AAA meeting. I think it was Florida someplace. And I met Michael Santucci. Mm. And he, of course, well, you know the whole story, but he owned Sensophonics Hearing Conservation. He had just... Uh, started to launch these things called in-ear monitors yeah <laughs> so that was like the first year he made one right I know it, he's told me it's like early 90s yeah yeah wow so you were right off the bat pretty much yeah so I thought it was all very interesting and he courted a couple of us um at that show mm -hmm. most of these other audiologists are now retired but <laughs> anyway, we had a really, really fun gang of what now would be called music audiologists, but we were just in the network. Yeah. So anyway, um, I went back to Larry's uh, office and, you know, for work on Monday and I went in and talked with his business manager, Steve. I said, you know, this, I, I, I met this audiologist um, at AAA and this sounds like kind of an interesting concept. I can't tell you a whole lot about it because I really don't know, but might be something interesting to add to the practice. Mm -hmm. You know, something fun, like, you know, we yeah. all know everything else that goes on in here, but, um, and Steve, the, man, the business manager said, well, you know, can you show me some numbers? Because there's mm. going to, there's going to be a small investment to send me to Chicago for training, yeah. um, you know, my travel costs and some, you know, initial equipment set up and whatnot. And, uh, you know, so he needed some numbers. I'm like, I have no numbers. I don't even know what this really is. It could a be brand new thing. Wear, you know, <laughs> I, I, it's cutting edge technology, I'm told. And so uh, I wasn't disappointed when they declined. I understood it. And it was absolutely the wise business decision yeah. on their part. I mean, yeah. it just, you know, because they were investing in me to get the training. It wasn't like, you know. Sure. And although I worked there, I mean, who knows? We all know that things change. Anyway, so I just took it on myself. So that's when you started your private practice? I didn't start. Well, that's when I established my uh -huh. practice. Okay. I mean, I literally, I went for the training and then I started getting a um, couple referrals for musician earplugs mm -hmm. and it's, I wasn't even set up to sell anything. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so then I realized I needed a business license. So I literally yeah. went down to San Francisco city hall, stood in line, filled out the forms. And I said, well, what's the name of your, your business? And I kind of looked at the <laughs> lady and I said, musicians, hearing services. <laughs> I love that. How I started my business. I didn't have a business plan. I didn't, I just, 
knew that I had to have a license to sell things. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, 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 again, this, this, this all just kind of came along. And then what was nice is, you know, Larry and Steve had given me their blessing to do whatever I wanted with this, you know, to, they didn't want it to interfere with my time in the clinic, of course, Mm -hmm. but at the time I had so little business that, and it was mostly in the evenings or on the weekends. Uh, it didn't really interfere much with what I was doing. Um, I did it as it developed. Then I started kind of cutting back a couple of days in clinic. So I really had a, just a perfect, uh, situation for slowly starting this little practice. I noticed, um, the other day, come again, the, 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 Oh, the podcast I sent you with Brad. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Brad Stewart, I had never really coined what a way to describe my business. Yeah. And he mentioned a lifestyle business. Yes. I thought that's, I, all these years, thank you, Brad, for, uh, coining it for me because that's really what it, what it is. And it's just me. It's pretty much just me. I get a little help here and there, but you know, it's, uh, I didn't set out to start this big conglomeration. I mean, it's right. just, you know, right. it's sustains me and I love what I do. Yeah. And, you know, so anyway, I think you and I are similar in that way. And I think a lot of music audiologists who get their start, were in another practice first and then worked part-time. I know I worked part-time at a, at a local clinic here while I was getting my practice set up. I mean, that makes perfect sense. I'm, curious about that time frame. So we're looking at like early nineties music mm-hmm. industry. And I want to know what the scene was like in terms of you going out as a woman and working with bands and what that was like for you. I know oftentimes I go backstage now and work and I might not see another woman there, you know, and I'm just, I'm expecting it was quote worse, although I hate to use that term, but I'm, ass- yeah. I'm assuming it was even more so when you got started and I'm just curious what the vibe was like and how you've seen that change over the years. I haven't seen it change that much. I mean, I really haven't. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know that it ever was an issue for me. Mm -hmm. It just was what it was. I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, in some ways it may have been to my advantage. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like when backstage before a show or something, and I'd, you know, be there for a reason to see somebody. Yeah. And these guys would see this, you know, Lone Ranger lady kind of wandering around outside the dressing room. It's got to be the audiologist. (laughs) So, you know, it would, it would, uh, it would provoke dialogue. You know, what, what do you, what are you doing here? You know, and, you know, so sort of then sometimes I would end up, you know, getting more business that way because then I would tell them who I was and why I was there and start talking about earplugs or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, then later as it is now, occasionally you see some female sound engineers coming through and yeah, that's always refreshing. And then of course now having people like, like you and, you know, other women uh, who are doing what we do yeah. is, certainly going to trade shows and all that. I it used to just be me and Michael Santucci. And I, I, I was, 
I don't know. I grew up with three brothers, so, you know, I'm comfortable. So you're used to it. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, I don't know. And just the whole, I don't know. I, but that, that really was, I can't say that that's been something that I've tripped on at all over the years. That's awesome. I've, I noticed when, when I was younger, like when I first started, if I, when I was a student at Sensophonics and then my first couple of years there, um, if I was alone going to a venue, I would often be stopped and I'd have to call someone to let me in because they would think I was trying to sneak into a show or something that's changed over the years. And I think, especially as my confidence with what I do has gotten greater. Um, but it was always in the past. If I showed up with a man next to me, I'd get right in. Oh, where, so I have seen a change in that over 10 years. And that might be again, because of my confidence level or whatnot, but I don't know if you, did you ever run into that? I, okay. Here again, sometimes, (laughs) well, first I, it was always me. I, I didn't like, I didn't start out going out with Mike or, you know, right. Yeah. Cause you were in a different state. I was just, I was just me. And so I always, did my best to get my credentials lined up before I went. I learned that. Then, you know, you start going to the same venues and people kind of get to know you. Yeah. So you get over that barrier. And then, um, well, I won't, I was going to get off track telling you, something, but I have, I have other connections that have absolutely nothing to do with the music audiology, but I have friends who actually own some of these venues. Okay. Or they, they, and they, promote in them. And yeah, so I I, I know a lot of people from different, this was in San Francisco, right? I I don't know anybody anymore. (laughs) I know it's been a couple of years since I've been doing a lot of venue stuff because of COVID too, like just getting back into that. But in Ohio, once I started going around to the like handful of venues, same thing, just what you're saying. The guys who were working there, you know, union or whatever, who were backstage said, Oh, here comes Heather with her kit. You know, so it became a thing where they, they got to know me. I'm really curious about the on-site stuff when you started. So I know people would come into the clinic and see where they'd come see you in person rather than you going out, but the career you started in the era you were in the technology for on-site hearing testing, again, not looking at OSHA, not looking at vans, but sort of like what us music audiologists do now with taking an audiometer with us. That that technology was not really invented yet. <laughs> the kind of like boothless stuff we do now. And I'm curious what you would do. You know, we're looking early 90s, going out to a venue, talking about in-ears or plugs. What were certain things that you made sure you did with each artist or crew member to try and put hearing health first? How would you go about that? Well, you'd be surprised. It really hasn't changed much. We did really? go out with our portable audiometers. Again. I went through the school of Michael Santucci, you know, as well as anybody, how adamant he is and was from the get-go about hearing conservation. That's so I lugged my uh, my old MA41 Mako audiometer around everywhere. So you've told me stories about testing in you know, a hotel room or with someone, but I didn't realize you did that right from the get-go. Oh yeah. Wow. I mean, that's so cool. Yeah. Well, it sounds cool. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, we tested in some of the most ridiculous listening environments. I mean, I would sometimes just go, 
why, you know, not only is it, you know, way too noisy, you know, I really don't like testing, even if you have the, my personal thing, even if you have the best equipment, you're an exception because you really have the best equipment with that CUDA wave. And you right. really, well, obviously you didn't have that. <laughs> no, didn't exist. no, no. Um, I still don't, you know, it's a, you have the, the Cadillac little, literally, of, yeah. you know, you're, 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 you're hauling a booth around you with right. you. But the challenges that I have go beyond that. A lot of it is time constraint. Yeah. You know, somebody comes out and they're like, okay. And as you know, it's often come out and make impressions. Mm -hmm. You know, we have this much time between sound check and dinner and the show. Yeah. And we want you to see five people and, um, you know, you feel it out. I, I don't have to tell you, but you know, no, how often like, do you get to the venue and they say so-and-so decided to go golfing or <laughs> they decided to do whatever. So sorry. Can you wait three hours and then see them for 10 minutes? Uh, yeah. I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but if you, but even in the, in the old days when, and I'm, I'm going to make a comment about that in a minute, something else, but um, to do a test to, especially if you're going for a baseline, Mm-hmm. To do it, and you know, with these guys that are in the middle of tour, they've been playing every night. Yep. They're to get a baseline, baseline on a rested ear, on a non rested ear. I've just really switched things around um, in the last few years where I put a lot less emphasis on mm-hmm. trying to get that hearing test at a, at a, at a live event venue. Right, I mean, it's one right. thing if you're going to recording studio or you're going to rehearsal site where, you know, they have some quiet rooms or somebody's home or. Well, of course you, you can arrange for them to get a test and then send it to you for your opinion, but I'm sort of picturing you in the early days using it, maybe more like a counseling tool. Or, well, okay. <laughs> no. Or not. I don't know. Okay. Counseling tool. So this is, this is where this is evolves so much and it, it it makes me so happy because uh education was a whole different ball game back then tell me how our education was explaining to people what in-ear monitors were oh, that's true i didn't think of that but they wouldn't have known what and was going why, on. you know, the advantages of the in-ears over uh, uh, stage wedge set up and, you know, all the, you know, different, you know, things about feedback and room acoustics and blah, 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 blah. And then you would try to convince them that they're better for your ears than the stage monitors. And even what we've learned about that over the years, as you know, has changed, you know? Yeah. So. So, you know, these days it's like, you know, what our conversations are. It's like, you know, well, this material will give you this much isolation and this material will do something else. And, you know, we'd like you to have isolation, but if that's too much, then, you know, we have these ambient, you know, features yeah. that we can suggest to you. And, and we talk about, you know, the advantages of binaural s- summation and don't wear just one and tinnitus and hyperacusis and right. distortion and annual hearing tests. And I, I mean, 
back then it was a totally different narrative. <laughs> well, and this is one of the things that I always say when I talk about music audiology, especially to like students I have now, is that the way the field I walked into was pretty easy compared to the field you walked into because I have better tools. The industry knows what an in-ear monitor is and some of the basics about it. And then I can enjoy spending time counseling about disorders more than you guys had time to do. Oh, and, and some of this stuff, I didn't, e- I didn't even know some of this stuff. Yeah. Well, audiologists today don't know a lot of it because yeah. it's not something that's taught. We don't, we don't. Do they teach it now in the program? No, not. In, I think there's like one or two that introduce music yeah. specific things, but otherwise, no, it's not really brought up. I think I had maybe a two hour lecture on occupational hearing yeah. conservation in, co- when I was so, in college. So it was like, you know, and I, I actually did go out in one of my jobs. I did some of that, which. And that's that kind of leads to my next question, which is, you know, I know your primary thing is not just music industry, but live events, industry, film, things like that. But outside of those worlds, what other hats are you wearing in audiology in terms of other things you do outside of that specific specialization? You mean to put food on my plate? <laughs> yeah, partially. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. what are all the gigs you're doing? Yeah. Um, I have a contract for probably over 20 years now with a senior living community in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And I go up there once or twice a month to service the residents, mm-hmm. about 300. So I love that gig. Yeah. It's, you know, the average age is 85 years old. And I really do enjoy being there when I am there. And it kind of helps me keep my fingers in sort of normal audiology, you know, more typical audiology. Sure. Like hearing aids and diagnostics. And yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, all that. And, um, but a couple of days a month is enough for me. I kind of get my fix. Yeah. And, uh, and then I combine that with, uh, I have, I have an office in San Francisco and I have an office in Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. Originally the bulk of, well, all of my practice was in San Francisco starting out. I lived and worked there. Mm-hmm. Um, then more of my, oh, my business was happening in LA. Just a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of the music scene moved out of San Francisco and down to LA, New yeah. York. So I kind of followed it. And then I got stuck in the middle in San Luis Obispo. Not a bad place to be stuck. Yeah. My family lived here and I won't get into all the personal stuff, why I did that. But San Luis Obispo is is located right between San Francisco and Los Angeles, a little bit closer mm-hmm. to LA. So these days I, I live in San Luis. I occasionally see patients here. I, I don't have like a, you know, they just come to my house. Somebody's passing yeah. through that's happening more and more because a lot of people will pass through um, San Luis Obispo on their way. I, I've had, I've had a, tour bus pull up in front of my house and they're like, wow, you're right on the way. And we, that's perfect. Know, that's really convenient for you because I'm sure traffic that. gets in the way. Yeah. That's but, awesome. So um, I think I'm getting off track here. What your question was, 
what you're just the other gigs you have, because I, I think that could be inspiring to a lot of younger audiologists who are thinking, gosh, I can't start my own practice and do different specializations and it's not going to work out. But you have, you have made a practice work for decades because you've diversified yourself. Absolutely. And you have to, um, I think it's, would be very difficult to do just, just the musician niche, but the other things that have morphed around that so that the hearing aid thing with the older folks, that's, that's separate. It's, 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 it's two separate businesses really. Mm -hmm. Um, But for instance, like the NFL network keeps me super busy. Yeah. And that's totally different. It is. Yeah. So I fit, I've worked with them for 17 years and I fit their talent with IFBs for mm-hmm. studio use and, uh, and broadcast yeah. from the field. So yeah. that's a, and, you know, especially certain times of year around Super Bowl, I'm super busy with them. I do a lot of stuff with uh, operations and uh, behind the scenes production people, crew, yeah. a lot of earplugs. And again, IFBs for the radios. I go a couple of times a year up to Skywalker Sound and fit their post-production people mm-hmm. with earplugs. This is and such a patient population that I think people forget about, that these people exist and they have ears and they need care, not just sales, but someone who knows how to really help them protect their hearing, especially when using these devices, because you and I both know that they could really hurt themselves Sure, if, if it's not done the right way. So I think that's really important work. I, to go back to the music side of things, um, I'm just curious what you think of this, but what do you wish other audiologists knew about music audiology in in terms of where it came from, you know, what should be done now and, and where the field is going? So what do you kind of wish the typical audiologist knew about what you do I would like them to know that this is a very special population, people who really, really need our our services. Yeah. Yeah. Because they are self-regulated. It's not like uh, somebody who's working in a factory whose ears are getting potentially beat up every day. They have Mm -hmm. somebody they're, you know, because OSHA and right. They're regulated. Yeah. They're regulated. So whether they like it or not, they're going to be told about hearing protection and somebody's going to hand them at least a little piece of foam and say, put this in your ear or else. So not only do our musicians work in these almost as bad, if not worse environments, um, if they lose their hearing, their livelihood is at stake. Not just that, but the livelihood of the people they employ. Good one. I had that recently. I had a patient recently who was dealing with a hearing injury. He employs a couple hundred people. Right. You know, and so if he's done, everybody's really good jobs. point. Really good point. It, 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 it affects so many people. Yeah, And so it goes beyond even uh, quality of life or enjoyment of music or it's, it's really, it's really important. And I'm kind of dumbfounded that still 
this many years later, there are a lot of people who don't know where to get help. Yeah, or, that's true. You mean from the music industry side? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. The yeah. education even for them doesn't seem to be quite there. I think those of us who are in the industry kind of see it everywhere because we know what we're looking for, mm-hmm. but they really aren't sure who to talk to. I'll all. still meet people from time to time, um, which was, of course, commonplace 30 years ago, but I've never heard of musician earplugs. I'm like, huh? Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, oh, wow. well, I've been wearing these little phone things, but they get so dirty and can't hear anything. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that says that the field of audiology still has a lot of work to do. It really does. And I think um, what's interesting about our field and why getting back to what other audiologists I, I would want them to know, I don't want to discourage anybody for going from going into this as you and I have, but there are it, it, it is a very specialized field. Yeah. Because you, you're not just, um, it, it goes beyond just, um, you know, regular clinical practice and uh, trying to, to uphold all the best standards and all that stuff. I mean, you have to do it yeah. often in very challenging situations and you also kind of have to learn the uh musician culture the culture and then also like the different set of best practices and i think that's what was so nice about that clinical consensus document um that we were both co-authors on was even if an audiologist has a musician walk into their clinic so even if they're not going to do kind of what you and i do they have something they can print out and use as a guide which is so handy some things to Mm -hmm. not forget about like hey Make sure you test their hearing and look at what they're going to be putting in their ears and verifying things if you can and all that stuff. Because I think until then, there really wasn't a little easy guidebook. Yeah. No, I think. Yeah. I wonder how many people actually read those things, but I hope a lot. I mean, we'll see. It probably takes a number of years for it to catch on. Well, and I think it, it takes the motivation. I mean, I know there are a lot of things that are written about cochlear implants and pediatric mm-hmm. audiology. I don't read them because I don't, I don't. Right. You have to have an interest in like be working in that area. Yeah. And, and I think that's the other point. I think if, as with anything, if, uh, if you're interested in something, you think it's something you want to pursue, you got to really explore it. Right. Right. And see if, if you are cut out for it and not every, um, audiologist who works with musicians has to go out and see them and, Right. Venues. And I think that's really where it gets a little tricky. You know, it's, I mean, it sounds kind of weird, but you know, I mean, there's the whole backstage etiquette. Mm -hmm. It is its own culture. You know, I lovingly refer to it as the pirate ship. (laughs) You know, it's it's walking into a different culture. You're walking into somebody else's home. Yeah. You know, and you're not, it's not the clinic where you're in charge. It's somebody no, else's home and you have to adhere to their rules. Have to adhere to their rules. You have to be very patient. You have to be um, okay to work in uh, with a lot of unpredictable situations. Yep. We don't need you to know. get into those on this podcast. No, <laughs> we won't. But, you know, and then if you're somebody who really needs to stick with 
strict time constraints and you want to get paid for every minute that you're there waiting for somebody or, which I understand. I mean, you just have to kind of get into what, uh, maybe kind of going back to some things that Brad said, you know, you just have to figure out what, what's your business model. What do you want to do? What do you, um, certainly you'd have to ask yourself, am I doing this because I want to meet somebody famous? Right. Or do I want free tickets to a show or, you know, it's like, you have to really love, you have to, I think, be passionate about doing what you're there for. And that's to help these people keep doing what they're doing for a really long time by protecting their ears, giving them the tools and the information that they need to do that. Absolutely. That's, that's what it's totally about. And, um, I know you and I, when we get together, we, we have some crazy stories and I'm not asking you to share any crazy stories right now, but I do, I do want to ask about a side of crazy, which is what's something you've done that other audiologists might consider crazy, you know, something you've done with a band or artist for the sake of hearing care. Sorry to put you on the spot, but any like <laughs> crazy situation you've been in where you've made it work, um, or a, a weird place you've had to test hearing in. Oh yeah. Or some someone coming, you know, to your house and it was strange, but you made it happen, or you know, anything. I, I you have, probably have 10 million of those stories. I as as we all do, but I'm just curious, like what pops into your head well, when you think of that? Um I could tell you some really good stories, but they're probably you can, too long and you can tell anything you want. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, just, just from a sort of an everyday standpoint, what could happen is sometimes I go, Oh God, if somebody saw what I'm doing right now, I mean, I might be in a dressing room with one guy on the couch, maybe even on the floor on his side with deep rocks in his ears. <laughs> no, I've been there too. Trying to somebody in the shower. <laughs> Yeah, coming and going, you know, trying to soften the wax for um, for an irrigation. And then, you know, you go to irrigate and the water's cold. There's only trickling out about that much because it's an old venue. So you're running around asking people for a tea kettle so you can boil some water. Every time. Yep. yep, I've been there. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, you're making impressions on somebody else and people are coming in and what are you doing? And um, which that's just standard. Yeah. You know? But I think the, I don't know if this would come under the heading of crazy. Certainly interesting. Early, early on in my career, I was called to work with, uh, and I'm going to be really careful not to give away any names or anything. Yeah, no names or identifying information. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually, I don't think anybody would necessarily know this. Anyway, so I went down to, uh, I was called down to this studio in North Hollywood, an upscale recording studio. And the tour manager who called me down, he said, you know, Lisa, he said, I know how you work. I know you're always very professional. I trust you implicitly, blah, blah, blah. He said, but this is kind of an interesting artist. And um, there's some, kind of germ issues that, you know, they have and, and um, plus in the culture they come from, they're not really used to women uh, okay. in any kind of a health 
medical role working with them. So I said, he said, so I need you to really present yourself as more of a medical expert. Because I'm going down the studio. I'm like, what? You want me to like wear my lab coat or something? Because yes, wear your oh my lab gosh. coat and your glasses. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I go down. My feeling like a total geek, you know, all these like handsome rock and roll dudes running around. I'm like, you know, <laughs> my glasses, my lab coat, one really wondering who the hell I was. So anyway, I, I hearing tests, like the molds, everything went very well. Uh, I assumed because two days later, they wanted to fly me to Japan to do the rest of the band. Did you go? Yeah. Wow. So that's kind of crazy. So, wow. But I'll tell you the crazy part in that. Um, so I know it was Thanksgiving weekend or week. I remember the time and I'm anyway. Um, so I went and the plan was the next day I was going to go over to the studio and work with the rest of the people. Well, it turns out I flew over it was business class. So it was, you know, lots to drink and eat. And <laughs> I'm just kicking back. I took my shoes off. I <laughs> boots on. Actually, I took my boots off. I get off the plane and I'm like, I couldn't get my shoes back on. They're swelling from so the flight. <laughs> so I, I probably looked like I was drunk and I, I really wasn't. I'd been sleeping mostly, but I go hobbling off the plane I, go out and at either gate where I could have gotten out, there were these young Japanese men from the Japanese music agency with these two signs that say, Dr. Lisa. <laughs> you have to understand this was way before AUD. Yeah. You had, I mean, the only doctors were PhD audiologists. But did you take your white coat? I did. <laughs> I, I did, but I didn't wear it off the plane. But I just burst out like laughing, like to myself. I'm like, oh my God, if anybody could see me now, Dr. Lisa. I'm like, look at me. Oh, yeah, like I'm like the big doctor, like hobbling off this plane. I can't even walk oh because my, my feet are so swollen. And then they whisked me out off to the studio that night. I thought it was going to be the next day. I hadn't showered. Oh. I hadn't, I walk in, there's this room full of, uh, Japanese businessmen, all in business mm-hmm. suits, smoking and drinking scotch. And I thought, wow, this is a crazy thing you do for that. Getting I would, tests. I would classify that as a crazy yeah. thing you did for hearing health. And then I had, My a, goodness. I had to have an interpreter interpret, you know, while I was doing the hearing test that night, I slept really well that night. So I'm sure you're probably exhausted. Wow. I can't believe I have not heard that story before. Well, that's a good one. That was a, yeah, I'm gonna have to do more podcasts with you. I really like that one. Well, that would speak to the needing to be spontaneous, needing to work with the uncertainty and unpredictability of this business. Which is hard for a lot of, I think the personality types in audiology to, to kind of consider working in that way, being whisked off somewhere. I know a lot of us who do this kind of work have similar stories. I have not been to Japan. I don't think I would do that because I don't like flying that much, but you know, you do, you have to be flexible. 
and you have to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that certainly you did it. I love that so much. <laughs> and we always say, you know, the the stories that we can't share one day, we'll, we'll all write a book. And when we're all dead, it can be published. If we um, can remember them. If we, <laughs> but I really appreciate you being on the podcast and sharing your story and, um, you know, taking this time with me to, to oh, talk about Heather. kind of your history in the industry. Thank you so much. We need to interview you. Oh, one day. Give me a couple more decades under my belt and then well, I'll be ready. I know. I know that you get interviewed often as you well should. So. I just Thank love you. hearing about the history of, you know, how, how you did things. I, and I didn't realize from the get go in the nineties, you were already doing the best practices that people like me are modeling ourselves after. I know you didn't have the Cadillac, but you were making it happen. I, that to me, gosh, kudos, like bowing down to that, because I think so many of our industries still don't do that. And yet when it started before people knew what in your monitors were, you were making hearing tests happen. And I just, I'm really in awe of that. That's pretty cool. Well, if I can just add one final thing, sure. because I think the future will be go out, spend as much time as we can with the counseling, unless it's appropriate. Yeah. Sure. And then we make these people aware of telehealth services. like Absolutely. Tuned. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, everybody should, they should, I, when you called me about this, I was thinking about this because how many times, well, I don't know if it's a lot of times, but I'll get calls like at midnight sometimes. I do Somebody too. Say like, oh God, I've got an ear cleaning done out this venue and it's bleeding. Yep. You know, but if people could know they could go on a tune, they may not get it at midnight, but they're on the road. And they have a question. It could be something as benign as concern about earwax or congestion after a flight or to, you know, uh, uh, an experience with some acoustic trauma or, or a place to just keep all their tests. Hearing loss. Yeah. I mean, I just did that with a band like about a month ago where I saw everybody had their tests and I said, you know what, I'm going to send you each a link to create a HIPAA compliant account mm. here. And they had past tests and stuff. And I said, go ahead and upload what you've had before. I'm going to upload mine. And no matter where you are in the world, you can pull your tests up and look at my notes. And, you know, it's just Beautiful. a really nice way to do things mm-hmm. and keep it accessible. Um, I was laughing about getting a call in the middle of the night because I, I do as well. Different time zones or whatever. People in the music industry work in the middle of the night. And yeah. my husband will be like, why is so much, why is this person, this guy calling you, you know, at 1130 at night and talking about his ears? And I'm like, it's the middle of the day for him. Like he's, he just got done with his work day. Yeah, you know? he's not checking time <laughs> just, zones. No, no. So I, I totally hear you on that. And I think it's, I do think we're going to see telehealth continue to improve not just tuned, but like a lot of facets of it. And even the online screenings, I hope we'll, we'll keep seeing those improve. And right. I really think this will be um, a really nice asset. Like, like you said, sometimes audiologists go out and they don't have time or resources to, to follow best practices. And in 2022, there's no reason to shame that, you know, if a hearing right. test can't be done right? because there are other resources. And the other thing is we can collaborate with each other how many times I've sent exactly. people who I can't see for a test, I've sent them to an audiologist near them. And then they'll send me the results and say, Hey, can you give me an opinion? I mean, the other thing is there are so few of us, we can all work together. 
Absolutely. Which we do. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, Lisa, thank you again. This was a real pleasure. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thank you, sweetie. Save years.